Greetings, podcast listeners. This is Liz. And this is Melissa. And you are now listening to Odds and Ends Podcast. Boom. (laughs) I think you should leave that in. Yeah, for sure. Welcome. Welcome. Back. I did Chris Traeger hints, like from Parks and Rec. Did you ever watch Parks and Rec? No, but I was just recently talking to someone about Parks and Rec and how I tried and I can't. I I also tried with The Office and I can't. See, they're in the same genre. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big Office person. I do enjoy the memes, but I think if you power through Parks and Rec... Leslie Nope is very much like us, and I think it'll just resonate with you. You could give it a whirl. I already gave it a whirl, but maybe we could give it a second whirl. Well, Grey's Anatomy is more important. It is. We're still finishing up Grey's, and we have, like, lots of seasons to go. I think, like, seven more seasons, so we'll see. Well, I hope you have a lap blanket on watching that, as we do right now. We do. We have lap blankets on. It was a little chilly in here. And, uh, but it was really nice today. Do you remember though, I'm just going to hearken back to our first podcast and I said that the lap blanket got blood on it and I threw it away and you're like, who has lap blankets? Yeah. And you came in and offered lap blankets. That's why I offered you a lap blanket. Oh, because you Because you you're going to murder me? <laughs> no, because you talked about it in the first episode and you said how lovely they were. I mean, it's just a regular blanket. Isn't it nice? But it's, we put it's it just... on our laps. I mean, is that... That's blanketing? Is it lapping? Is it a lap pillow or a lap blanket? It's a lap blanket when you put it on your lap, I guess. Okay, let's go with that. Yeah. So, um, not much to report in my life. That's okay, because I have a bone to pick with you. You do? I do. Okay. Okay, so, um, so, okay, I'm just going to kind of put it in context. So, I was at a staff meeting and they did uh, like a, one of those things called icebreakers, those terrible things. And they're like, let's do an icebreaker. And internally people like us are like, yeah, my whole body just tensed up when you said icebreaker. (laughs) I was like, ooh. So they're like, tell everyone, this is an all staff meeting, someone they don't know about you. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Ooh, I'm going to be so cool. And so I was like, I'm actually a co-host on a true crime podcast. And so everyone would think I'm cool. Uh-huh. And then I had lovely coworkers asking me what the name of the podcast was. And I was like, I'm just like honest to a fault. So I just like told them. And then that night as I'm like laying in bed, I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. Like, I didn't say anything too bad. Like, I swear, they know I'm kind of weird. Like, it's fine. And then I remembered in the last podcast, you did not edit out my baby sweet pet talking voice to Bean. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was horrible, Melissa. It was I'm not. I'm revoking your editing privilege. Oh. Be my guest. Oh, no. <laughs> you edit okay, this shit. Okay, take it back. Fine. Okay, take it back. Take it back. Rewind, right. rewind. It was never funny. Mind. It was funny. No, I, I thought went... it was cute. I thought we needed to include our little banter with Bean. And <laughs> I know our podcast listeners quite enjoyed it, I'm sure. <laughs> and they'll be happy to know Bean has been tucked in and already had her water. She had her water. She was <laughs> oinking around out there a minute ago, but now she seems to be nice and settled. And so hopefully she stays that way. And the baby's a 
asleep so now we can podcast. The baby, the, the pig baby is asleep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess you want me to go first. I do. You've been texting me at teasers all day that it's so good and that's all I'm getting. So I already, like I said, I already know mine. So I want to hear yours. Yeah. Okay. I'll go first. Yay. Um, I love this story i was just so it was one of those ones where i was just like whoa <laughs> like the that's whole time that's a big whoa that was yeah. at least like 42 o's yeah that was a lot that was just like the whole entire time i was reading the story it was like a long whoa it was like two days long of whoa um it's on my favorite favorite topic that you knew was coming because well your other favorite topic. My other favorite topic. Well, I have a few favorite topics. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Does it make it a favorite if there's more than one topic that's a favorite? I suppose it's kind of like when you say, like, this is my best friend, whoever. You might have a lot of, like, close friends you call best friends. True. Okay. So this is my favorite topic. That's amongst all of my favorite topics. Mm-hmm. Aliens. <laughs> I was hoping. I was hoping that's where we were going. Specifically, alien abduction. So, oh, I need to get my notes out. Not just going flying by the seat of my pants here. I really like how last time you talked about something based in science. Oh my gosh, you're shaking like that little meme (laughs) where the kid's so excited. I think she's going to burst. I just love aliens and alien abduction stories. And this one is just so freaking interesting. And I can't believe I haven't heard it before. But yes, this is the story of a man named Terry... Lovelace, which I think is just like such a cute last name. Terry Lovelace. Terry Lovelace. He sounds like a country western singer. Yeah, Mr. Lovelace. But he's not. Is there a country singer with the last name Lovelace? Um, yes. Is there? Older. I think so. I I'm feel... gonna look it up. Okay, look it up. I feel Keep like talking. there is. I will confirm. But I don't really listen to country music, so I don't know if I'm just making that up in my head. It sounds me, it applicable. Sounds like a country name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are you finding it? Mm-hmm. And it said, Google wants me to tell it I'm not a Patty? robot. Is no, it Patty? I have to, Patty Lovelace. I think it is. I think I'm right. Patty Lovelace. Why am I having to, I'm doing a captcha to Google. You were right. <gasps> Loveless. That's what it is. Oh, Loveless, not Lovelace. Loveless. Oh, yes. That's not as good. Okay. So we're going to talk about Mr. Terry Lovelace. Mm-hmm. First, we're going to talk about who Terry Lovelace is, kind of get into his background and his life and who he is as a person. So Terry Lovelace served on active duty in the United States Air Force from 1973 to 1979, trained as a medic and EMT. The bulk of his enlistment was spent as a first responder at the emergency room of Whiteman Air Force Base Hospital. After military service, he completed a bachelor's degree in psychology with honors from Park University. He earned a Juris Doctor from Western Michigan and was admitted to the bar the same year. In addition to serving as a felony prosecutor, he was keenly interested in healthcare law. He's a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives and was certi- certified. Oh, I actually applied for. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, what? Come on. <laughs> He's a member of the American College of Healthcare Executives. That for some reason seemed like a really long title and it was hard for me to say. Important. 
and was certified as a healthcare risk manager. While an assistant attorney, I'm going somewhere with all of this information, I promise. While an assistant attorney general for the U.S. territory of American Samoa, he was general counsel for LBJ Tropical Medical Center. He finished his legal career as state's attorney for Vermont's Board of Medical Practice in 2012 and lives in Dallas with his wife of 45 years. So, oh my gosh. All of how that many, to say... How many years did this guy live? Because that's a lot of schooling and things. I'm feeling very inadequate with my bachelor's degree. Yeah. Oh, actually, I have an AA too, so I'm feeling better, but... There you go. Go ahead. Where were you going with you're, it? You're further than I am. <laughs> um, so, he he's still alive. Um, as it said, he lives in, in Dallas with his wife of 45 years. So, he's still alive today. Hey, how's it going, Mr. Lovelace? How's it going, Mr. Lovelace? This is going out to you. I hope you listened to our uh, episode about you. Um, (laughs) So all of that to say, like, I just want to point out that this is like a very intelligent, very accomplished, Mm -hmm. very stable individual. Because sometimes people will assume or... I think I see where this is going. You know, they're like, oh, these people who have these alien abduction experiences are like... After jobs trailer, or like, Mama, I done been abducted by an alien. Exactly. Like, One of them uh, UFO majors. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or that they have like ulterior motives of some sort or something else. But we'll talk about that at the end. Um, but I just wanted to point out that he's, he's an accomplished dude and he's yeah. a smart guy and... Yeah, so... Really, he should have no time for an alien abduction. I mean, he has no time to make one up, so it obviously must have happened. I know. If that's where it's going. He was a busy fella. Dum, dum, dum. So, as I said, this story just, like, blew my mind. And it all started with an innocent camping trip. Oh, don't they all? Now, camping always seems innocent, but as we learned in... One of our previous episodes where I talked about all of the people that go missing in the woods. I mean, sometimes camping is not as innocent as it seems to be. I went snowshoeing this past weekend Mm -hmm. and there was like no one around. And part of me, I'm going to say like, it was 50-50 because the people hating part of me was just like, I'm so pleased there's no one around. And the other part of me is like, and this is the last thing they'll talk about us when they're talking, when we air on the first 48. I know. Were you by yourself? (laughs) No. I had had my fella, my fella escorting me. I think partnering up is good. Yeah. I get swooped up in the back. We were in line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, partnering up is good, but also like Terry was partnered up as we'll learn Mm -hmm. soon and shit still went down. So yeah. And the just ship. like Doc. Huh? Just like Doc. Just Sorry. like Doc. I'm showing you I actually listen and retain from previous I thought podcasts. of Doc when I was reading this story and I was like, oh, Doc. So I'm always going to think about that now. Thank you when I go into the wilderness. And this is only going to make it worse. <laughs> I know. If y'all haven't listened to the episode with Doc on it, what episode was that? Episode I two? I think it was two. Two or three. About the people that disappear in the woods anyway. Yes, in the national parks. Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this all went down in 1977. Terry was 22 years old and in the Air Force working as an EMT. He was at work with his best friend and EMT partner, Toby, when Toby randomly suggested that on one of their days off, they take a camping trip together. One of Terry's hobbies was photography, 
and he had just bought a new camera that was super nice and had lots of new lenses and stuff. So Toby thought it would be a good way to get out into nature and relax and get some good photos. It's delightful. Sounds innocent enough so far. Sounds great, right? Now, neither of the young men had ever been camping before, but they were basically like, how hard can it be? They should take an REI class. You become a member, you get free classes. That's what I did. I went winter camping. You could take a class. I met some really lovely people. I'm not sure if REI was doing classes in 1977, but... I don't know. Either way, (laughs) they bought a tent and a couple of sleeping bags, and they were good to go plan their trip. They probably bought a cooler. They were like, what do we need? Cooler. A lantern. A lantern. Well, I think they just had a flashlight, but... So... I like how you can read their mind. Um, According to what I saw in the story. (laughs) He was was definitely not a lantern man. He was definitely more of a flashlight kind of man. I could tell. Terry and Toby, they didn't want a lantern. (laughs) No. So Toby suggested that they camp at Devil's Den State Park in northwest Arkansas, which was about six hours away from the Air Force Base. And Terry agreed, and off they went. So notice, they are in a state park. They're going to be camping in a state park. Mm -hmm. We know what happens in state parks. Just a really nice spot. So they were stoked. They set up camp. They made a fire and they settled in for the evening. The weather was nice. They were laying out under the stars. And Terry noticed that the forest was super loud, like with the sounds of crickets and tree frogs. (laughs) Can you turn that forest down? I'm trying to sleep. I know he was like, oh my gosh, it's so loud out here. Like... I don't know. He'd never been camping before, so maybe he was like, wow, the forest is loud at night with all of the animals and the <laughs> bugs and everything. So, And you know how loud crickets can be on frogs? Oh, yeah. They can be so loud. So <laughs> anyway, it's noisy. It's the forest. They're out there chilling by their campfire. We out here in this knee-high grass. You know how we do. You know how we roll. <laughs> oh, my God. There was a breeze. It was so nice and lovely. And... They were sitting there just talking, and all of a sudden, the forest fell completely silent, and the breeze stopped. So everything suddenly became eerily still, and Terry was like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? You're a wizard, Harry. Yeah, like, like, ooh, it's loud out here, and then all of a sudden, it's quiet. Quiet. (laughs) Um, He was unnerved, and he was like, what? You know, what's going on? Why is it so quiet? Toby reassured him that it was nothing to worry about. And he's like, the forest gets quiet all the time. Yeah, Toby doesn't know what he's talking about either. He had never been camping. He was probably just like, it's cool, man. Don't freak out. (laughs) So then, though, Toby noticed some lights in the sky just to the west of where they were at. And they were far away. And he pointed them out to Terry. And neither of them could tell what they were. At first, they thought it was just an airplane, but the lights were in a triangular configuration and appeared Mm -hmm. to be completely stationary. So Terry and Toby sat for a good 15 minutes, staring at the lights, debating about what they were looking at. And for this next part, I'm going to read a direct quote from Terry's website explaining how the lights began to move and approach them because he wrote it so well. I get out my camera, first of all. I mean, you're a photographer. Okay, I'm sorry. I talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So here's the quote. Then they moved. 
The three points turned in perfect unison. They rotated once as if on an axis and began a slow ascent into the night sky. The movements of the three points of light were perfectly synchronized. This was a single solid object. It tumbled at times, rotating end over end as it gained altitude. The lights on each point of the triangle grew brighter as they expanded. The size was difficult to gauge, but it was big. Its somersaults were too perfect for movement without a purpose. The points stayed equidistant to one another as it, I love that word, Yes. to one another as it sped up and continued to claw its way higher until it reached its ceiling. The area inside the triangle was solid black, much darker than the surrounding night sky of dark blue. As it traveled over stars, they would blink out for a moment and then blink back on again as it moved past. Much like the phenomena during the Phoenix Lights. I don't know what that is. As it grew larger, it eventually devoured entire fields of stars. We watched as the triangle continued. I, I said that weird triangle. We, we watched as the triangle continued a steady trek toward our campsite. Incredibly, it continued to grow exponentially as it approached us. End quote. Good so they're just sitting there I'd be watching. running the car. I'm not. I guess my curious side. I have a curious side, but. Right, you would think you would be I'm like, like I'm out. terrified. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, like, oh no, is it Shark Tank? I'm sorry, I'm out. <laughs> I know. To add to the strangeness of the whole ordeal, though, but that wasn't strange enough. No, to add to the strangeness, I'm adding to the strangeness this whole time. Okay, I'm just gonna keep shoveling it on. I'm so, so excited. So here comes more strangeness. Terry said that as the lights approached them, he felt absolutely no fear. He says that a feeling of calm kept washing over him, and he felt a sense of disinterest in what was happening. Toby felt the same sense of calm as they both just sat watching this mysterious craft approach them. So, I listened to a podcast episode where this guy was being interviewed, and he said that it was almost as if this thing had some sort of power over them, because he was like, mind control powers yeah like normally just like you said in that situation you'd be like whoa i'm out of here or you'd be at least if you're sitting and watching you would at least feel something and he said all they felt because they checked in with each other and they were like whoa like what and like neither one of them felt panicked or scared they felt calm and he said almost like bored like just totally just like whatever Hmm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i'm like that's so weird and I'm so like freaky. The science part of me is thinking through the inner workings of the brain, like, oh, this goes into philosophy too. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So this thing, whatever it was, was huge. Once it was above them, it took up about a quarter of the night sky. Toby wondered aloud what would happen if he tried to signal it, and before Terry could stop him, Toby flashed his flashlight three times at Uh-oh. the craft. Almost immediately, a beacon of light about the diameter of a softball came out of the bottom of the craft as if someone had flipped a switch. The beam of light was almost solid like a high-power searchlight cutting through dense fog, but there was no fog, just a visible column of white light centered directly over their campfire, which was burned down to embers by this point. Then, as quickly as it had appeared, the white light switched off, and in its place came a laser-like beam of blue or violet light no broader than a pencil. It darted quickly around the campsite as if scanning the area and scanning Toby and Terry. 
The beam struck Terry's chest and head, but he felt nothing. Terry recalls that it struck Toby as well as it continued to flit around the campsite for a few minutes before unexpectedly switching off. Mm. The two men sat in silence for an unknown amount of time while this enormous thing was motionless above their heads. (laughs) Something odd happened next. Yeah, because this is normal to this point. (laughs) Yeah, things are already super odd, but (laughs) something even more odd happened. Toby suddenly and calmly announced that he was going to bed and terry followed him because he felt really tired like Uh inexplicably tired like more tired than they should have especially with a giant weird unidentified object floating above their head (laughs) so they both grabbed the air mattresses they had been laying on and dragged them into their tent and fell on top of them completely exhausted Terry remembers keeping his clothes and boots on as he quickly drifted off to sleep, and Toby was asleep almost immediately. That sounds great. Can I get some alien for some nights? I deal with insomnia. Whatever this is, can we put it in a capsule? Some alien ambient? Some alien ambient. <laughs> some alien ambient? Alien ambient. <laughs> I wish we we could. I wish we could bottle and sell it. Maybe someday. I could use that. (laughs) Maybe someday when they come down and we make friends. I think just now we call it weed. uh, True. (laughs) Oh, also, these guys were in the military, so there was no drugging going on. They weren't out there doing anything like that. Oh, damn. That was going to be... I was like, they had some lace peyote. (laughs) They drank a special tea. Yeah. So... Terry said that he's unsure how long he and Toby were asleep for because both of their watches had stopped, but he thinks it was about five or six hours. Side note, the watches never worked again, which is a thing that I've heard consistently in alien encounter stories where electronic devices will just stop working. Like they get like fried. Yeah. They just like stop. They cease to work. Okay. Okay. When they woke up, it was still dark out, but there were super bright flashing lights coming in through the canvas of the tent. And Terry's pretty disoriented when he wakes up, and by the looks of the lights, he assumed it was maybe a park ranger who had turned his overhead lights on and that maybe they were going to get a ticket for camping in the area Mm -hmm. that was not inside the campground. But there was also a super kind of like loud humming noise that felt powerful, kind of like a large piece of machinery. And Terry sat up and was like, what's going on? And did did you leave? Wait, what? (laughs) Did you leave something running? (laughs) And he noticed that his boots were unlaced. Um, As I said before, Terry specifically remembered that he left his boots on when he had gone into the tent earlier. So the boots being unlaced was odd, but even more strange was that when he took his boots off, he found tentacles instead of feet. No, that would have been great. But no, his (laughs) socks were on sideways. Like somebody had just haphazardly like threw them back on his feet. How rude of the aliens. I shuddered when I read that part. I was like, ooh, that's the scariest part of the whole story. A crooked sock in your boot? (laughs) That's going to leave a blister. Oh my God, nightmares. (laughs) So Terry said that he was confused, of course. Confused (laughs) As you'd be. (laughs) And felt like he was in a fog. So... 
he's kind of just waking up from this alien being experience. And at this point, he turns and looks at Toby, who was sitting and looking at something outside through a flap in the tent. Terry noticed that Toby had tears streaming down his cheek, which sort of snapped Terry out of his fog because, of course, if your friend is looking outside and crying, there's obviously some sort of problem going on. So he asks Toby what's wrong, and Toby just looks over and gives him the universal 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 shush shush sign the universal shush like sean connery would do like sean connery shush sign (laughs) that's my sean connery i'm I'm sorry alien (laughs) so he's like puts his finger to his lips and he's like like be quiet they're still out there and terry was like who's still out there and terry just forgot everything he was like what (laughs) the park ranger no so I'm sure it's all like slowly coming back to him, but um, Terry then pulls back the flap on his side of the tent just enough so he could see out, and he saw two things. Number one, mm-hmm. the huge triangle spacecraft, which still flying or parked. Well, it was about 500 feet above their heads when they had gone to the tent earlier, and was now only about 30 feet above the ground. Oh, golly. Yeah. The tent that they were in was off to the side of the craft, not directly below it anymore. Hey, bro, we're camping here. Yeah, so <laughs> he says, this will give you a good idea of the size. He said it was about the size of a super Walmart, which is huge. Holy crap. And appeared to be about five stories tall. So super tall, too. So this thing is ginormous. Man. The second thing he saw, <laughs> in the flashes of light... He could see about a dozen of what appeared at first to be kids walking around underneath the spacecraft. They were all paired up in twos or threes. Buddy system. Even the aliens use it. Exactly. They know it's dangerous in the woods. (laughs) They might get abducted by humans. (laughs) The tent was... The tent plot twist, yeah. (laughs) The aliens get abducted. (laughs) Oh, that would be great, but no. Um... The tent was far enough away that Terry couldn't quite make out exactly what was going on, like who these people were. So he asked Toby, hey, man, what are all these kids doing out here? And Toby probably like, what the fuck? Why don't you remember any of this? (laughs) He's still crying. And he's like, those aren't little kids. Don't you remember? They took us and they hurt us. Look at them. They aren't human. Then Toby broke down and started to sob. I feel so sad for Toby in this story. Violated. When Toby said that, Terry briefly had a couple of flashes of memory of being inside the spacecraft, but nothing tangible or linear. Terry pulled back the tent flap again to take another look, and this time he took note of what these entities looked like, and Toby was right. They certainly were not human. They were about three feet tall and looked like the stereotypical little gray guys, he said. Gray, not green. Gray. Yeah, they're gray. Okay. The little grays. Yeah. (laughs) Disproportionate head, small torso, thin limbs, and they had a very distinctive gait. Like their knees were hinged the wrong way, which creeps me out. Like a horse's back legs. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 Horses are walking around like. You just had bad. Well, you have had bad experiences around horses. I have horses. There's something out behind a horse's eyes that just makes me feel like nervous around them. It was your ankle, right? Last time I got stomped on. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, where were you in relation to the horse? I was in front of it, and it took off and trampled over me like a crazy maniac. Were you... You mean like a wild animal? <laughs> <laughs> or like a wild animal. That might be more like accurate. You, you raise children. You should know how to behave around wild animals. Oh. My yeah. children don't have big fat hooves to trample me with. I think that this should be able your your ankle was like completely purple and like it bruised through to the other side. Yeah, this horse's hoof hit me in my Achilles as it was like going to trample away. It got spooked by something and oh. it went to take off and it stepped on me in the process but getting stepped on by a horse is not good but it could have been so much worse like it could have yeah because it scraped my achilles and there was like a huge last um not laceration but like abrasion there but you could have fallen off and broken your ass well that or it could have like (laughs) Like totally um (laughs) like paralyzed cut my achilles Oh, yeah. Yeah. So many things. Sucked. So I got off okay. It was fine. It was just bruised and gross Uncomfortable. Anyway. Sorry. Detour from aliens. Horses aside. Little horse tangent. Back to the aliens. (laughs) So um, these two fellas are just sitting in their tent, scared to death, just kind of watching. Like, there's nothing else they could do. And eventually another light kicked on. And this one was a large column of white light. And the little gray guys, when they saw it, they all started making their way toward it. And when each little gray dude reached the light, they would dissolve, like pixelate and disappear. Okay. When they were all gone, the light shut off, the droning noise stopped, and the ship silently retreated upward. Now, there was no blast or thrusters or anything it just started moving straight upward silently getting smaller and smaller until it disappeared terry and toby sat there pretty terrified for about another 30 minutes before they decided that it was safe to move and when they did they ran for the car left all their stuff behind and (laughs) headed back home even the new tent and photography equipment everything okay they headed back home and it was still dark out so i don't blame them yeah the guys were both injured and in a ton of pain and they had some pretty strange injuries first of all yes tell me their skin was burned Ouch. Yeah, it looked... All over? Yeah, it looked and felt like a bad sunburn, but it was all over their entire bodies, including their hands, their scalp, the soles of their feet. Ouch. Yeah, but unlike a sunburn, the skin never blistered or peeled. And they're like, we're going to pop them in the oven for 325. I think that's what you cook humans at. I know, but then they were like, "Ah, changed my mind. Yeah, I'm full. You know, I had a late lunch. We'll just let them go. Seriously, I mean, that's what it seems like happened. Ouch. Second of all, they both felt like they had something in their eyes, like they had sand in their eyes or something. Um, But when the sun finally came up, the eye irritation they were feeling turned into intense pain. And they later found out that they had what was called flash burns to their corneas. And if you've ever injured your cornea, Mm. which I have, it wasn't by a horse. (laughs) It was at a state fair, though. Um, Would you get a flash to, I mean, how did, you, how did you injure? Did something shoot in your eye? Something flew into my eye. And I had to wear an eye patch for a week and we were on vacation. 
You only had to wear it for it. I had a lazy eye when I was a child and I had to do eye therapy like every day with an eye patch on. And it's terrible wearing a stupid eye patch. You had a lazy eye. How adorable were you? You should see baby Liz in kindergarten with little bangs and you can just see these like thick glasses. Did the lazy eye go outward or inward? It didn't, it wasn't moving. So my parents had taken me in for eye exams and apparently I had cheated and I know the only test I've ever cheated on, I swear, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to do eye therapy. And then I got into eye therapy and now that's why I have terrible depth perceptions because my eyes don't technically like work together, I'm told. But you know, I get around. Well, your eyes look perfectly great and straight Thank now. Thank you. <laughs> Not that a lazy eye is a bad thing. I think it's adorable. Thanks. I can do the wandering chameleon eye for you. If you want. <laughs> That's very cute. I love it. So anyway, cornea stuff sucks. And their corneas were burned. Nobody knows why or how this happened. It was just like, holy shit, corneas are victim. So of course, <laughs> so of course, like they head to the hospital because they had to because they had these strange injuries and were in excruciating pain. But what do you say when you get there? They knew they couldn't tell the truth because they were going to sound insane. Plus, these guys were in the military and they were afraid that they'd oh, yeah. get sent to psych and possibly even get discharged, yeah. which neither one of them wanted. So. Terry said that he and Toby didn't speak the entire six-hour ride home, (laughs) except to say that they weren't going to tell the whole truth. They planned to say that they went to bed the night before and woke up feeling mysteriously sick, which isn't super far from the truth. I would say that I had a a bad tanning bed experience. (laughs) I stayed in there way too long. In the woods. Yeah, in the woods. We found this random tanning bed. We're like, this is so convenient. And then I like just baked myself. (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. Um, So they get to the hospital and their injuries were very odd. And the doctors were asking a lot of questions. And additionally... They were both extremely dehydrated, which didn't make any sense since they'd only been camping for less than 24 hours and they had access to water. That's true. I mean, boys do forget to drink water. I always shove a bottle in in my booze hand on the way out the door. I mean, do they? Some fellows are not very good. Do you forget to drink water? Maybe humans do forget to drink water. But they didn't. Okay. All right. Not gender specific. Yeah, they didn't forget to drink water and they hadn't been out there very long for... The amount of dehydration they were suffering from oh, yikes. couldn't have happened in 24 hours. Okay. So, anywho, while they were in the hospital getting checked out, a park ranger comes across all their stuff that they had left behind up in Devil's Den. They left everything, including Toby's backpack that had his address on the base and his phone number. So the ranger calls the base and is like, hey, it looks like two of your guys were camping over here. Um, but there's no one here (laughs) and they left all their stuff and so here's where it starts to get even more freaky okay terry is in the exam room and four guys alien eggs come out of his butt no (laughs) no okay not that weird it never gets quite that weird (laughs) no alien comes out from his stomach no 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 no, okay. Sigourney Weaver's not in this movie. Okay. 
Um, four guys show up. The hospital's commander, who Terry knew because he was a medic and he worked at the hospital. The base commander and two other guys in civilian clothing. The hospital commander was the only one who spoke, and he told Terry that he was not to have any contact with Toby ever again. Not verbally, not in writing, not through a third party, nothing. What? Yeah, he said if you run into him on base, you turn around, you walk the other way. They said if these orders were not followed, there would be consequences. And Terry was like, geez, okay. And super confused as to why he was receiving these orders. But yeah, yeah, he knew he had to follow them. So couldn't ask why. (laughs) Basically, yeah, he, he can't ask why. It's the military. Those are orders. So he's not only going through something super painful and traumatic, he's also losing his best friend. Who's also the only other person on the planet that he knows of that's gone through the same traumatic experience that he has. Yeah. So Terry spent three nights in the hospital, and when he was discharged, he found out that he'd been transferred to another area of the base for work, and that Toby had been given orders to ship out to Japan. Hmm. Now, I want to add something here. Even though one of the main purposes of the trip was for Terry to take photos he had actually forgotten his camera at home. Devil's Den was several hours away, so obviously weren't gonna, they weren't going to turn around and go back for it. But Toby had brought his camera, but it was just a small, basic 35mm camera. Mm-hmm. But Terry said that it never crossed their mind to take photos of anything that they <laughs> saw. And he said, looking back, it's super weird because like that's the first thing you would... Yeah, I want just, evidence yeah. of this. Yeah, just like when it was flying towards them, you would think they would have been scared, which they weren't. And he's like, was this another mind control thing where it was just like we were kind of frozen and didn't it didn't occur to them. He's mm-hmm. like, I wish it had, but like we had a camera right there, but it didn't. So They almost like sedated them. Yeah, it's a very weird thing. Um, before Terry was released from the hospital, he was visited again, this time by two men who didn't identify themselves, but appeared to be law enforcement. Did they look like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones? I think so. (laughs) That's what I pictured. (laughs) They questioned Terry about what he and Toby had been doing out there that day and said they were going to search his car and his home. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like a whole lot of weird, like, hubbub from all of these higher-ups people about these two guys just coming back with some strange injuries. So it's like... People know what's going on, right? This leads you to believe that they're, like, trying to cover this up. They're like, don't see your friend. What were you guys doing? We're going to search your house and your car. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to transfer your friend to Japan. All of these (laughs) extreme measures. So when they searched his home, they ended up taking a bunch of prints that Terry had developed in his darkroom, photos he had taken of the moon, they all, which is random. The, those were the only photos they took were photos that he took of the moon. So, and he never got them back. They Darn. All, I know. They also took his wife's camera and film and developed that, which he said there was just like birthday party photos on there or whatever. Like, <laughs> something, like they were disappointed. I'm sure like these aren't alien photos. It's <laughs> a kid's five-year-old kid's birthday party. And, and he's probably like, well, since you already printed them, can I have them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Give them back. Yeah. When Terry got his car back, it had been thoroughly detailed, and he was like, there was not a speck of dust anywhere on it, even on the tires, 
Like it was crazy well, clean. Thank you so much for dealing my car because that kind of thing is expensive. How nice of them. Yeah. But it's like really weird because they just wanted to search the car. You wouldn't think that they would take the time to go over it with a fine no. tooth comb like that. Um, and so as these law enforcement guys were leaving Terry's room, one of them, as one left and the one that was still in there, closed the door and bent down next to Terry and whispered, you know, and I know that you boys stumbled onto something out there. And I know you know what I mean. Oh. And Terry was like, whoa. And immediately <laughs> peed his pants. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry, I don't know. He's probably just like, oh, God, what the? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. what did I get myself into? Yeah. I, I just want to take some nice photos. <laughs> I should have never went camping. <laughs> So Terry gets out of the hospital, and he's on leave for 30 days to recuperate. And he and his wife are out running errands, and on their way home from the grocery store, Terry said he wanted to stop by Toby's place. Uh-oh. Yeah, he wanted to at least have a chance to say goodbye to his bestie. Oh. Yeah, and his wife protested Uh-oh. for a minute, but finally agreed that they could stop by briefly just to say goodbye. So they stopped and found Toby and his wife packing up their house. <gasps> And because they're about to move. Oh, right. To yeah. Japan. Okay. And I guess Toby looked a hot mess. Like a hot, hot mess. I would have, be having some psychological interferences too after this yeah. event. And Terry was surprised because Toby was usually extremely well put together and meticulous about his experience. So, mm-hmm. so Toby walks up to Terry and they managed an awkward handshake and like kind of didn't know how to act or whatever like it was just co- sort of a weird moment and it just sounds like parts of Brokeback Mountain sometimes <laughs> <laughs> no it never goes there <laughs> I wish it did that's yeah, the only thing that's fun. missing from this story is the gaze is the gaze <laughs> I love that movie anyway so they have their weird handshake and Terry notices that Toby smells like alcohol like hard alcohol, like vodka, which was also out of character because Toby wasn't usually a big drinker. He's trying to cope. Yeah, totally. Like he's fallen apart, obviously. So Toby looks at Terry and he says, it happened, didn't it, Terry? And Terry said, yes, it happened. You're not losing your mind. And Toby said, why us? And Terry was like, I don't have a clue. And Wrong place, wrong time. Terry suddenly felt a sense of extreme panic Uh-oh. and had to leave. He was just like, I had to go. I, I felt super anxious, almost like a panic attack coming on, and I left. And that's the last time he saw Toby. Did the aliens do that? Don't know. About six weeks later, Terry was at work, and mm. he gets a call from his commanding officer. This is where the plot thickens even thicker. Oh my gosh, the intent in your eyes right now. <laughs> this is where it gets good. Damn. Okay, I'm now I'm really on the edge of my seat. On the super edge. Don't fall off. Uh-oh. Don't. You might fall off. You might come. <laughs> okay. So, Terry's at work. He gets a call from his commanding officer who said that... They wanted to see him down at the OSI office, and they were sending a car to pick him up. 
What is the OSI, you ask? The Aussie? I didn't know either, and so I googled it, and it is the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigations, a U.S. federal law enforcement agency that reports directly to the Secretary of the Air Force. So it's basically like the Air Force cops. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. So he goes into the OSI headquarters, and they put him into an interrogation room, which was just a small room with a desk in the center and a two-way mirror and four chairs. And he waits for three hours before anyone came in to see him. That's patient. Yeah. I mean, what else is he supposed to do? <laughs> but he said that he thinks that that was part of it, that they were just trying to make him wait so his anxiety level would continue mm-hmm. to go up. It's but a like, tactic. All of this is a tactic and a mind game. And he's only 22 years old here, but, you know, he went into the field of law. And so he said, looking back, he can see now, like, everything that was happening. But at the age of 22, he was like, it was What's all... coming next? It was all lost on him, yeah. So... Finally, though, the same two agents that had come to see him at the hospital walked in, the men and black guys. I don't know if they were actually in black, but... And then they got out this light and they said, look directly into it. Well, almost. So... (laughs) What? They came in and they told him that they could, quote, wrap his case up today. And wouldn't that be nice? And Terry, of course, was like, yeah, that'd be nice. (laughs) Even though he still hadn't been charged with with anything, no one had even told him what he was suspected of. No info had been given. He didn't even know why he was there. He was like, what is happening? Like, it is, it's over. Like, I don't know what's going on. I just want some information. The officers proceeded to tell Terry that he was going to be hypnotized. And Terry was like, oh. Get the fuck out of here. No. I don't want to be hypnotized. And they were like, well, you signed these consent forms while you were in the hospital. And they showed him the forms. Sure enough, he saw that he had signed a consent for hypnotic regression with chemical enhancement. Lies, lies, lies. So he said that when he was in the hospital, he very well may have because his you know his corneas were burned and so they had this ointment in his eyes and Mm -hmm. the room was always dim and he did sign some stuff so but i think that if i heard that i mean maybe they didn't read it to him i don't know he's only 22 and he's like he would be dumb and sign something he might yeah i mean at 22 i might have if they were like this is just a consent form everybody needs to sign it and my eyes are all ointment and goopy and i'd be like okay (laughs) i can trust (laughs) these people professionals exactly i mean you You look a little like will smith sir have you gone that (laughs) (laughs) what's that special light you're holding in your hand (laughs) if only it were that easy click a light and forget it all but it's not so he had signed a consent for hypnotic regression with chemical enhancement so they were not only going to hypnotize him but give him a truth serum which is actually just a drug that lowers your inhibitions relaxes you it's also known as tequila to resist (laughs) yeah no it wasn't tequila this time at the time Terry was doing his undergrad in psychology, so he had been taking psych classes for about a year and a half, and Mm. he knew he couldn't be hypnotized against his will, Mm -hmm. but the drug certainly would make things a little more tricky. So anyway, a third guy entered the room, and Terry said he was creepy, (laughs) and of course this was the hypnotist. Doesn't the hypnotist always need to be creepy? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yes, by standard. And they have swirly eyes, like that black and white swirly <laughs> eyes. They're probably wearing a top hat. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's the scary movie? Um, oh, Saw. Saw. A little bit, like, yeah. That's, Ooh. I'm sure, what he looked like. Like, why do you have your face painted? Terry is fighting this as much as he can like incognito like he's trying to seem like he's into it and following the directions but like covertly trying to like tense his body up and like not look like he's being hypnotized you know sounds like dates i've had (laughs) (laughs) same (laughs) but they keep giving him more and more of that stupid medication and Uh so it was making it increasingly hard to resist what was happening (laughs) And eventually, the hypnotist starts asking Terry about the camping incident. And Terry's mind begins to flood with memories. Uh-oh. Yeah. And it's weird because the hypnotist is not asking vague questions. He's not asking, like, open-ended Where questions. Where were you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He seems to know exactly what Terry and Toby saw. He was saying things like... You saw some funny lights in the sky, didn't you? And, but they weren't funny lights now, were they? The (laughs) hypnotist said, who were they, Terry? And Terry said, they were the space people. Terry said that hearing himself say those words was shocking, and he didn't intend to say that, but those were just the words that came out of his mouth. Uh And the hypnotist said, that's right, Terry. We're going to talk about what you saw. It's then that Terry starts to describe what happened and what he saw. So this is mooey interesting. This is the part that I get very excited about because I want to know what the aliens are like. And this tells us. Okay, great. Good to know. So Terry describes the interior of where he was. He said wherever he was was enormous, like the size of a football stadium. Or Super Walmart. He wasn't sure if he was inside the ship or if they had been taken somewhere else because the inside of this thing looked way bigger than it had from the outside. So he and Toby are standing there next to each other, nude, holding their clothing and their boots in front of them, and neither of them can move. The only thing Terry can do is look around and blink his eyes. He's scanning the room, trying to remember as much as he can, and he says he was scared out of his wits. That was his direct quote. Everything in the enormous room, that was my word, was either <laughs> real. stainless steel or what looked like white porcelain. That's a hell of a lot of cleaning. I know. To his left, there were three saucers, maybe 40 to 50 feet in diameter. There were little gray guys running all around, the same ones they saw outside the ship before. There were also other humans on board with them. And Terry says that this was the most disturbing thing to him and has been the source of his nightmares for years. It was a mix of men, women, and children all lined up in single file lines. He couldn't see for sure how many people were there, but he guesses that it was around 20 or so besides him and Toby. And their eyes were doing the same thing, just darting around the room, trying to take it all in, and obviously terrified. Terry heard a woman screaming in pain. It was then that he realized that Toby wasn't next to him anymore, and shortly after that, he began to hear Toby scream, Oh my god, oh my god, no. Then he noticed a guy 
who was humanoid in his features, about six feet tall. I say a guy, but I mean an alien. (laughs) And he looked different from the little gray guys, which Terry explains that he thinks the little gray guys may not have even been living sentient beings, but maybe artificial intelligence of some sort because they seemed kind of just like they were worker bees who were there to obey orders and help. So anyway, this humanoid creature thing was about six feet tall and wore what appeared to be a knit sweater with a V-neck. So quite a fashionable alien lad. Maybe he shops at the Gap. <laughs> I was like, it sounds like they were maybe watching some TV and they're like, what's the, what's the least aggressive piece of clothing I can wear? <laughs> and then they start watching the Cosby show. They're like, oh, the sweater vest. Oh, little do they know. Little did they know. That they, little did anybody know. Oh my God, my childhood ruined. Um, this creature had long fingers and his skin was a chalky pink color. He had no ears, no apparent structures on his head, just two nostrils for a nose and a slit for a mouth and big black eyes that resembled a pair of wraparound sunglasses. So Terry... So you mean how we draw an alien? Kind of, yeah, how we draw an alien. Mm -hmm. So Terry is straining his eyes to the left where this creature is, trying to see him, but... Again, he can't turn his head, so he's just, like, trying to really look out of the corner of his eye and, like, check this thing out. He's your peripherals, Terry. (laughs) So Terry is straining his eyes to the left, trying to see this thing, and suddenly this thing looks in his direction, and they lock eyes. Terry said what happened next was by far the most terrifying thing that happened throughout this entire ordeal. They locked eyes, and Terry said he felt like this being was in his head and it felt like he knew everything about Terry. Like he knew his secrets, his life's Ooh. details, his wife, his parents, everything. It was just the overwhelming sensation of being completely exposed. And Terry said that it actually felt like this being was downloading everything in his head. So I guess looking into sweater vest aliens eyes <laughs> felt like he was seeing raw intellect like beyond what we as humans can even comprehend in our little tiny human brains Mm -hmm. and whatever this thing was it felt like he was about 500 rungs up the evolutionary ladder from us that's a very specific measurement not hard (laughs) if you look around you see our last precedent (laughs) yeah next Two little gray guys came and got Terry and escorted him, escorted him, escorted him down a walkway. And he doesn't remember. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I know. I'm sure he didn't want to go, but he doesn't even remember taking any steps. He said that it felt like he was on one of those motorized walkways like they have at the airport, which I love those things. (laughs) I love walking on them and feeling like I'm going at super speed. I know. I like walking on them and pretending like I'm very important. Like I just look at my watch just because it's like. Like, look at me go. And then you, like, go to step off of it, and it's, like, a weird, yeah, awkward, like, I'm like, I'm always gonna do <laughs> like, when you get off the treadmill, and you're like, why am I still walking this speed? I can't control this. Uh, again. Again. 500 just... rungs up the evolutionary <laughs> ladder. <laughs> like, you know that, that motorized walkway? That's nasty. You know, you can't stop walking fast once you get off that other thing where you're Shoot. walking fast. Shoot. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we digress. Mm-hmm. 
we have to we have to laugh during these stories. I know this is like Terry's super scary, traumatizing story, but um, it's our show, and we can have palate cleansers where we want. Yes, we do. We need palate cleansing sometimes. I am really freaked out by this story. So oh yeah, just okay. FYI. Um. So anyway, he was just gliding along, still unable to move anything but his eyes. So he must not have been walking if he couldn't move. The little gray guys take him into what looked like an exam room that was like a little dome-shaped room with a porcelain exam table, which sounds cold. And Melissa at this point would be like, what have you done to disinfect the tools you're about to use? Is this bed clean? It seems like if this place, I feel like in my mind, I'm imagining it as super clean. Mm -hmm. I was just, when you said like the dome, like I just see the lights and it's like, Mm, yeah, the porcelain just so clean and approaching, minimalist. Yeah, very minimalist <laughs> vibe. I love it. Um, so one of the little gray guys took Terry's clothing and boots because he's been naked this whole time. If we forgot that part, yikes! And they laid him down on the exam table. The room looked very clinical, and suddenly, standing in the room. Terry noticed another being. Sorry, I burped. That <laughs> <laughs> was so quiet. I was like, she's paused now. For emphasis. <laughs> Pause for emphasis. <laughs> um, but this one looked more like an insect than a human. He said that it had a very praying mantis type of look. It had a triangular shaped head, huge bulging, multi-lensed eyes, an insectoid mouth, and it was about seven or eight feet tall. I hope it washed all of its hands. I am so too. It is at this point that Terry finally loses his shit because to me, Terry seems hella calm during this whole ordeal. <laughs> I'm like, when is Terry gonna finally hit his breaking point? And it's here. here. Because he starts screaming. But... Reminder, he's still frozen, so he can't open his mouth. So he's basically screaming as loud as he can with his mouth shut. But he's not sure if he's even making any noise because he can't hear anything. Oh. You could feel the vibration of your vocal cords, though. Yeah. Vibration of your vocal cords. (laughs) So this goes on for a few minutes while the bug doctor alien thing is doing something to Terry's lower back. And it's hurting pretty bad. And Terry's trying to scream and thinking, like, damn, why don't these things at least give me some anesthesia or something? Let me go to sleep again. Knock me out like you did last time. Seriously. Finally, the internal screaming must have gotten on Dr. Bug's nerves because (laughs) it turned to Terry and leaned over. So its big left eye was even with Terry's eyes. And Terry heard the words, why are you screaming? Stop screaming. You know we don't hurt you. You know we take you back. Now stop screaming. And the weird thing was that these words weren't spoken aloud. Terry just heard them in his head. So. That's convenient. These things, like, seem to have some sort of telepathic way of communicating, it seems. Terrific. Well, they are 500 rungs up on the intellectual ladder. At least. At least. I would say at least. So next, Dr. Bug hit Terry on the top of his head with one of his huge green (laughs) digit finger things. 
And Terry was out. And that's the Thank last... Thank you. That's all I was asking for, Dr. Bog. I know. The screaming worked. You got your way. Yeah. How much is this work. procedure going to cost me? I know. I have medical insurance. I'm sure he has good medical insurance. He's in the military. Mm-hmm. Covered. <laughs> and so that's the last memory Terry has of being inside the ship. Next thing he knew, he was outside next to his car. And he remembers thinking, somebody screwed up. They should have put us back inside the tent. And as soon as he thought that, four of the little gray guys appeared, grabbed Terry and Toby, and threw them (laughs) into the tent. (laughs) Then Terry went out again. The next thing he remembers is waking up to the flashing lights in the tent, like we talked about earlier. Terry said that in the six weeks between the time of the incident and the time he was hypnotized, that he didn't remember much beyond what we heard in the beginning of the story. But he was having repeated nightmares and still does to this day, by the way. Okay, so the hypnosis session obviously brought many more memories to the surface or they were suggested and planted there as Liz thinks. (laughs) And Terry says he still wonders and has vivid nightmares about what may have happened to the other people who he saw on the craft with him. And he can still see their faces in his dreams. Oh! Yeah. And every so often he'll have a nightmare about the creature who he locked eyes with and will wake up terrified and screaming. Now, it's funny because he is familiar with the David Polity's books, The Missing 411, which we talked about a couple episodes back. Okay. And... When he read those, he was wondering about some of those missing people who seemed to just vanish into thin air. From out in the wilderness. And funny enough, there have been a few more strange incidents and disappearances from Devil's Den State Park, where they were camping. It's their hunting grounds. Yeah. And one of those stories is super interesting, and I will probably cover it on a future episode because it sounds mm-hmm. pretty crazy. So, um. Terry held on to this story for many years, keeping it a secret from everyone except his wife, because he knew it would most likely affect the way that he was perceived and might get in the way of him pursuing a normal life and career path. Uh, Yeah. So it wasn't until after he had retired and really had nothing to lose that he finally came out with his story. The event that prompted him to do so is kind of crazy. In October... (laughs) Still more crazy stuff. Still (laughs) piling it on. Like, ow. In October of 2012, so very, very many years later, Mm -hmm. um, when Terry... Very many years later. Very, (laughs) very. Many, many. When Terry suffered a minor fall, which landed him in the emergency room. In the ER, an x-ray of Terry's leg was taken, and upon examination, the radiologist noticed a small piece of metal. What? He was sure it was a man-made object. It was about the size of a fingernail, but it was square, and it had two small wires attached to it. He pointed out that it resembled an RIFD compute device, which I have no idea what that is. Oh, you know about the RFD computing device? RFD compute device. That's the best kind of computing devices you can get right now on the market. Yeah? Okay. I'll keep that in mind. In case I need a compute device. <laughs> he also noticed a collection of foreign object in Terry foreign objects in Terry's calf muscle. Both of these x-rays are available to view on Terry's website, which I'll link in the show notes, and we'll also post those on Instagram. Okay. I'm going to be looking forward to that. After finding these objects, the radiologist wanted to examine Terry's leg for scar tissue, insisting that the only way these objects could become embedded in his leg would have required an incision. There was no scar, no scar tissue, of course, because Terry had never had 
things inserted into his leg, knowingly. Terry asks the radiologist how often he finds a foreign body underneath the skin without a corresponding scar, and the radiologist said, never. (laughs) In his 23 years in practice, that had never happened. A day or two later, Terry made a connection. He was an avid runner and had begun running regularly when he left the military in 1979, routinely running three or four miles a day, which is, that seems like a lot. Good for him. Yeah. I'm like, ugh, I guess I'll go do something, like some yoga today. (laughs) I can see running three or four miles like a couple times a week, but every day, that's a lot. Yeah, yikes. Go for it, Terry. Good job. One day while running, he noticed something odd. At about the two-mile mark in his run, a spot on his right leg went completely numb. It was just above his knee and only about an inch in diameter. Terry mentioned it to his doctor at the time, who blew it off and suggested he do the same. Terry dubbed it his numb spot and didn't give it a second thought until the x-ray revealed the mysterious metal objects in his leg. The foreign object in his knee lay just below the numb spot. Terry said that the x-rays would open the door for him to come out and speak on this event that had happened in his life he said he never really intended to talk about it but all of a sudden it just felt necessary to get it out so he wrote a book called incident at devil's den which has helped him process the incident and done wonders for his mental health in relation to what happened to him it's also opened the door for him to meet others with stories like his and to feel a sense of camaraderie with other people who can understand what he's been through and of course when you come out with something like this, who else comes out of the woodwork? It's Oprah. the trolls, the no. naysayers, <laughs> and Oprah. <laughs> Maybe he was She's going to want an exclusive. I'll bet he was on Oprah. We'll have to Google that. Okay. So people who experience things like this, as I said at the beginning of this episode, they get a lot of grief from people who aren't believers. They get called crazy or say they're just trying to gain some sort of attention or notoriety. But for someone like Terry, who was a successful lawyer for so many years, he had a good retirement plan, plenty of money, happily married, living a good life. So I don't know what any ulterior motive would be here for him to come out with this when he did. If anything, people who come out with stories like this lose more than they gain if you ask me Mm. i don't know i don't know some people do it for the money so where do you stand on this because it seems like you're a skeptic (laughs) surprise surprise wait i i do want to know did they take this stuff out of his leg i don't know i'm wondering that too because i want to know what it looks like because from what it sounds like he's theorizing or proposing is that his running potentially jostled some of these loosely embedded items. Yeah. My issue is, I don't think that something intangible can affect if there's no incision marks, things like that. I don't think that there's something intangible that can affect a tangible object. That's always people's argument with faith, so I think it applies to the aliens too. Do you (laughs) believe in aliens? No. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love you, Melissa. I literally fell out of my chair and rolled onto I'm the so ground sorry. and rolled we, away. We literally just went through Genesis with a church and it was talking about like the special way that humans are created. And I, I guess that that's my argument comes against me as, as well. But 
I it's res- a it's a belief. So I totally respect your belief. I get where you, where you're coming from. I also respect your belief, and we know this as friends. Yes. You are religious. You're a Christian. Mm-hmm. I am more agnostic. I'm spiritual, but I don't really practice. <laughs> I um fully believe in aliens. I fully believe that there's something else out there with the mm-hmm. great expanse of our universe and other universes and just there there's got to be and there's too many accounts like this for it to not be true i just don't know well there's a lot of the power of suggestibility right they just so happen to always look the same or have similar characteristics yeah i don't know but <laughs> so i many questions. do know that there's a lot that we don't know mm. and that's kind of where i stand on everything where i'm like you know there's a lot going on mm-hmm. and there's no way that I know even the smallest portion <laughs> for sure of what's happening in the world or in the universe. So I just leave it at that. I love my aliens. I love talking about it. I think it's fun and I think it's that we should so drive fun. to Devil's Den. It's so interesting. Hell no, I'm not going to Devil's Den. <laughs> you go since you don't believe in it. Okay. You can go camp. I'm I'll like, stay behind. here, aliens. <laughs> I'll sit this one out. <laughs> I will definitely sit this one out. Like, Melissa, I have a really fun hiking experience that yeah. I'd like to take you on. Oh my God. He'll know. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. This was just such an interesting story. I think it's interesting. Um, I kind of want like more information. If anyone or- who is listening, or if you, Liz, yourself, want more information, he did write his book. I'm sure it goes into way more detail. Um, I found some other info online, but also listened to a really good podcast episode where they interviewed him um, called Weird Beard Podcast, which I thought was a really cool name for a podcast. (laughs) That's fantastic. And he has a website. He like goes around and talks to groups and stuff and tells about. Oh, you mean like to make money? Yeah. I mean, to share his story about aliens, to comfort others. I to love share... you. <laughs> I'm reminding myself. Oh. I love you. I've never seen you dramatically fall to the ground like that before. I don't get dramatic very often, but that did it. That really meant, yes. I might cry later, but I'll say No! That, that was Call a long... Back. Are you serious? That was a long story also. I can, I can keep mine. I mean... It is what it is. Whatever, it's whatever happens. It's all fun information. I think that was a groovy story. I was really into it. Let's get on to your story. I'm excited to hear what you brought for me. I've been needing to clear my throat for quite some time. <coughs> okay, cough it out. We know it's not COVID. You're vaccinated. <clears throat> yes. No, it's probably allergies. Oh my God, my allergies have been so bad lately. I don't know what, what? it is. It's the weather because it's all warm and everything's starting Yuck. to bloom. People like spring. It's so exciting. I'm like, spring, I can't breathe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know. I woke up this morning in like a sneezing fit. Okay, so I'm really excited to talk with you about this. Okay, me too. I'm excited to hear. Because it's a very intriguing serial killer serial killer mm-hmm. you've probably never heard of mm. i'm not gonna tell you the name of the person the okay. suspect but the serial killer is called the little old lady killer or la mata ve oh darn it i've been practicing mata vejita mata vejitas Ooh. la mata vejitas yes spicy ethnic. i know i've been really practicing so i can try and say some of these 
correctly. All right. So it's a little bit later. So it's in the early 2000s, so a little bit more uh, present day than some of the ones we've covered in the past. All right. I've kind of jumped all around with time, but we're in the early 2000s. And authorities who have previously been dismissing evidence that a serial killer was at work in Mexico City finally realize something more sinister is in their midst. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. We it, need a soundboard. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so we don't have to make noises ourselves. Oh, we should get like one of those old school Casios. Remember when you put it on a certain setting, it would make like different noises? Sure. <laughs> I do. You're old. You should remember that. I do. Yeah. (laughs) I was saying that. Older. I wasn't being facetious, (laughs) but I kind of sounded like I was. Yeah. No, I do remember. Casio. So they had been thinking it was media sensationalism. Uh But these victims are 60-year-old women plus, 60 plus. So they're they're of a mature age. Uh Many live alone. Okay. And they're usually found bludgeoned or strangled before being robbed. Oh my. Fun fact. Is uh, it fun? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting. Okay, interesting fact. Uh, I went on, I was going down the rabbit hole, as you do, and I was on Murderopedia, mm-hmm. and it was like, hey, there's pictures. And I was like, cool, dude. I saw the pictures. It was, they're pretty gruesome. It was, usually victims were found strangled manually or with a ligature taken from their own home, which is always left at the crime scene. So I, one of them I think we'll talk about later was strangled with a stethoscope. I should have started also with a... Trigger Not warning. Spoiler alert, but yeah, tr- trigger warning. There will be elder abuse in this. Oh, I know. Um, I mean, it's kind of expected at this point. We do offer resources, some of my top faves in our show notes. Yeah. Shout out to Nami as usual. So here's our working profile. Berna- uh, Bernardo Batiz is uh-huh. the chief prosecutor in Mexico City. And he initially profiles this killer as having a brilliant mind. Uh, This is a quote. A brilliant mind being quite clever and careful. And they're thinking it's like this psychopath who feels no remorse. That's what they're looking for. Uh And then they start suggesting that this killer probably attacked victims after gaining their trust. Thinking these investigating officers are suspecting, suspecting. Suspecting. This killer posed as a government official offering uh-huh. signups for like welfare pro- welfare programs. Okay. So, you know, someone innocent that's going to come to your home. I'm here for welfare programs. Let me help you get signed up. Dead. And, you know, older people usually, especially if you're in your 60s and the early 2000s, that means you grew up in an era where you could like mm-hmm. trust people that like knocked on your door. Where yes. you could be like, oh sure, you're here to sign me up for something, come in. Like you didn't, it's not like old people aren't, older They're, people aren't smart. They just came from a different a time. Different, I know. And it's like, like I remember one time my nan opened the door for someone, it was like 10 o'clock at night uh-huh. and my mom's like, don't do that. Yeah. Or it's like some, some hour where you're like, no, use the people, my lady. Yeah. 
Yeah. But again, it's like... <laughs> that sounds sexy. Does your mom call your Nana milady? <laughs> no, I just like to add fun things to okay. make my stories more jazzy. The jazzy vernacular. The jazzy vernacular. A la Liz. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, like, back in the day, if someone knocked on your door, you opened the door. Now yeah. you, like, crouch down and, like, army crawl to your bedroom. <laughs> be like, no, no one's here. Oh, my gosh. One of my very favorite, and this is, like, a little bit of a palate cleanser, one of my very favorite comedians, Sebastian Maniscalco, has a bit about how his mom used to have intimins around. Like, if someone showed up, like, oh, come in. Like, let me cut you a slice. Oh, he goes, gosh. now somebody rings the doorbell. Everyone hit the deck. Move away from <laughs> From the window. <laughs> We're not here. <laughs> yeah, they'll hear the international you. shush sign goes up. And indubitably. Yeah. <laughs> so poor old people are getting killed like left and right. It's ladies. Yes, it's single. It's all, it's all ladies. It's all older women. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. <laughs> all the single ladies. <laughs> all the single ladies. <laughs> now keep your doors up? locked. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm so sorry we're laughing about this. Don't hate us, everyone. Okay, well, I'm just back to the story. This is a good place to jump back in. The search gets more complicated by Mm -hmm. conflicting evidence. Uh At first, law enforcement hypothesizes maybe two killers might be involved. Mm -hmm. And then they start focusing on the fact that at least three victims own a print of boy in a red waistcoat an 18th century painting by a French artist. So they're going all criminal minds up on this business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a strange coincidence. Exactly. And they also <laughs> requested a collaboration at one point with the French police uh-huh. under the belief that the killer was similar to a homosexual, this is what it says, homosexual serial killer is what it was called, Theory Pauline, aka the monster of Montmartre. I can't speak French. I can speak a, a, a less than I can Spanish. So at this point, the media starts coming for him and they start criticizing authorities because the authorities launched their next approach. Because witnesses have been saying the killer appears to be a masculine looking woman. Some are saying the killer wore women's clothing to get access to victims' apartments, thinking maybe they'd be more trusting of a female, kind of is where the mentality is. Mm -hmm. One report stated a large woman in a red blouse was seen leaving the home of a murdered woman. It was RuPaul. Damn it. Yes. (laughs) I knew there was something off about him. (laughs) If it wasn't for you dang kids and your meddling pig... RuPaul could murder everyone and I would still love him. He can do no wrong. Oh my gosh. I saw that RuPaul is in a long-term relationship. I did not know RuPaul had a husband for like a long time and they have an adorable relationship. I guess I didn't Yeah, I know think that they've been married RuPaul. for, or they've been together for like 25 years or something. I think and, I'm pretty sure. I know. He's great. Yeah. Anyway. And I hope my bird didn't just pick up on the mic right now. I feel like I'm going to give you all kinds of weird mouth noises. That's fine. So the ASMR portion. (laughs) Oh, I hate mouth noises. I'm cringing as much as I am with the eye thing. Sure. So these witnesses are saying it looks like a big broad (laughs) women's clothing. And it's problematic because authorities have been looking for a male killer. Right. I'm thinking, you know, they're seeing this woman. These women are getting manually strangled or strangled, you know, also with a ligature. Uh But to strangle someone... 
I would imagine it's very difficult. Yeah, I would per imagine. the explanation of killers that have discussed it. I yeah. believe Ed Kemper discussed it in detail. Yeah. So it's difficult. Uh, that's the best of my recollection. That's not a peer-reviewed journal article based. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's just nerd list. <laughs> so in response, mm-hmm. instead of shifting to looking for a female killer, these authorities decide to execute what was called by one journalist a, quote, ham-fisted and unproductive swoop on Mexico City's transvestite prostitutes, end oh. quote. Oh, no. So no, we know appropriately... So we know appropriately today that this would be a transgender woman and this is kind of an odd shift yes, to look for. So they're thinking, okay, well, we already said male. They're larger. Yeah. This, the killer has been reported to be larger. And so they start going through... And looking at all of these <laughs> transgender women in Mexico City. Yes. Well, then two months later, they think potentially Matavajitas C. C. <laughs> Could I was like, I said that pretty good. Yeah. They start thinking that that um, this killer might have committed suicide or or died. So they start looking at f- fingerprints from bodies in city morgues. And they find nothing. Why do they think they died? Did the killing stop? I think there was like a bit of a break Mm -hmm. that happened there. Um, I do believe that it was a break in time where there wasn't any killings going on. Yeah. Okay. Because this is in 2006, they catch a break. So it's been about, you know, a few few years that they've been looking at this. So they're kind of trying every angle. Uh Uh-huh. So the search for the little old lady killer gets a major breakthrough on the 25th of January, 2006. Okay, let's see if I can do this. Senora Ana Maria de los Rejas Alfaro. Yeah. An 82-year-old woman who lived in a borough of Mexico City was found strangled with a stethoscope. Oh, no. And a suspect is arrested fleeing from the house. Oh, shit. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. witnesses. Those, those person's brave. So, I'm really excited. What do you think the killer looks like? Who do you think the killer is? Just describe. I feel like um, my transgender bros and sisters are the, of the non-violent variety. So, I'm <laughs> going to stay away from that population. <laughs> I don't know. Is it a woman? Like a cisgendered woman? Okay. Okay. Well. I feel like there must be some sort of a strange twist. It can't just be like. I was like, okay, you're a middle-aged white dude. Oh, I am? To the surprise of many Mexicans and your fellow (laughs) co-hosts who have been told the killer was a male, the suspect detained was Juana Barraza, a 48-year-old woman and professional wrestler Under the ring name La Dama de Silencio, or the Lady of Silence, or Silent Lady. What? Right. That is so random. (laughs) So random. Okay, you ready for the pictures? Yes. I couldn't show you before because there's one in her outfit, and she's a buff-looking broad. Goodness. Like, she she don't want to make her mad in in a grocery store line. She is quite a it's, tall and powerful looking lady, and her wrestling outfit looks... Very David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It is. It's hot pink. She's got some some lightning strikes going on. It's like if David Bowie and Hulk Hogan had a baby. Yeah, and Nacho Libre got involved somehow. Somehow. So, Splooshed a little DNA in there as well. I mean, her face just looks like some lady you might run into at church. Well, yeah, her or, face doesn't look mean at all. Yeah, you run into it like a restaurant or, or something, just like a normal person you'd pass by. Mm-hmm. And actually, the reason behind her ring name, the Lady of Silence, she named herself in reference to her shy, quiet personality. Uh, That's because she's plotting evil thoughts in her mind. Okay. You weren't expecting it to be Nacho Libre. No, I wasn't. Nope. I'm, I'm glad like, it's not RuPaul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can still watch Drag Race <laughs> with a clear conscience. I'm so bad. To- <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, your conscience is clear. I named this, for- just to continue with my theme of naming weird things, Juana Barraza, someone call APS. <laughs> someone call- What's APS? Oh, Adult Protective Services. Oh. Oh, please, yes, someone call APS. So how many old ladies did she murder before she got caught? So we'll actually get into that. Okay. Okay, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to walk you through the process of, of of when they got her, when they arrested her, the next kind of step. So okay. there was actually a composite sketch of the killer's features mm-hmm. and showed La Mata Fajitas with close cropped hair, dyed blonde, and a facial mole, mm-hmm. which Juana has. Okay. And when she was detained, she was wearing a tethoscope. When she was detained, Juana was wearing a stethoscope. She also had pensioned forms and a card identifying her as a social worker. So when they thought she was getting in, they were correct. She was getting the trust of victims posing as a government official who worked in social welfare. Oh, shit. So these ladies are like, okay, you're a woman. You're, you have a badge, so even someone who was like, you know, let me see your semi-identification. Mm-hmm. So don't let random people in. Wow. To your, I'm just saying. What an evil, evil woman. Exactly. How so, terrible. And what's worse is when they go and they search her house, keep in mind she's illiterate, and during the search of her home, officers found a trophy room with newspaper clippings of the murders. Uh-huh. Items that belonged to the victims. So she was like carrying trophies. And an altar to Jesus Malverde and Santa Muerte, who are two folk saints commonly respected by Mexican criminals. Oh no. Which that's a fun fact. I didn't know that. And forgive me for my poor pronunciations. But that was just a little fact. I did not know there was folk saints for criminals. Oh man. Saints for Criminals. Saints for Criminals. What's next? That's a good band name. Saints for Criminals. That's a great... I used to keep a list. I still have that list. You do? I do. Do you remember we would come up with them randomly when we'd all be hanging out? Um, uh, Dick Fingers. Dick Fingers. That's a British band. I played that card one time and I was like, thank you, LA. We all Dick Fingers. Thank you, LA. We all sent for criminals. Was Dick Fingers a Cards Against Humanity card? I think so, yes. I think so, too. I think it was. I don't think we made that one up. No. No, that was a pretty good one. So, Saints for Criminals. Saints for Criminals. If anyone wants to use that band name, go for it. Just let us know. And tag us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, back to the murder. She confesses <sighs> to murdering Senora Alfaro, which is when she got caught leaving her house. Who, right. So, you, know, you kind of have to, yeah. <laughs> 
And you also have a trophy room, so that's kind of going to bite you in the ass. Yeah. So she confesses, saying she met Senora Alfaro at her home in search of long, a laundry work. And overall, she confesses to killing four women and denies involvement in all the other killings. But unfortunately for her, fingerprint evidence linked Barraza to at least 10 murders, but as many as 40 have been attributed to this killer. Whoa. And I just want to add in this like moment of slight annoyance that when the victim was first assumed to be male, uh-huh. Mexican media was calling it the killer a brilliant psychopath akin to Ted Bundy. But when Juana is arrested, the media starts saying she's pathological. She's just like Eileen Wernos. She has no direction. She's killing for the fun of it. Of course. Isn't that the fucking patriarchy? Also, I hate when anyone calls serial killers brilliant because I think that just adds to like the flair Allure. of everything. Yeah, it's like, don't give them that notoriety or that credit. They're it's just sick people. Brilliant serial Yeah, don't I don't think there's started. anything brilliant about murdering people. Exactly. Thank you for that. Great addition. Yeah. No, so No prob. Here's where I want to dig a little, I guess, into your heartstrings and see what you think of this. I want to take you on a little meet and greet. Okay. With Juana. Okay. I'm ready. So she was born north of Mexico in a rural area in 1957. Okay. Okay. Her father was a police officer and her mother was an alcoholic prostitute who reportedly, this is quote, reportedly exchanged her for three beers. Oh. It gets worse. This is like Charles Manson's mom did the same thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And but the things with Charles Manson, he learned a lot from going into the system, the mm-hmm. prison system is where you attribute a lot of his knowledge from. Juana didn't have that. So she I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna read the rest of this and Go. then I'm gonna let us hypothesize sure. and let you mull. Mm-hmm. So the man who got Juana in this trade for three bears repeatedly raped her several times and i mean for years and she eventually became pregnant with a son in total she had four children this is not going well no she has a strong interest in lucha libre a form of mexican masked professional wrestling also damn girl with the r rolling i was practicing and i just have to say i do have kind of a funny tangent that i'll toss in here and you can you know take it or leave it I went with my coworker once, and he speaks Spanish um, pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so we went in to go get tacos. He's the best dude. We always like take a nice little lunch break to go get tacos. And I was like, I think I want to order in Spanish. And he goes, okay. I was like, I really want to learn Spanish. You know, it's California. The state language is Spanish. He goes, okay, you can do this. So I get up to the front. I'm like, hola. And I was like... <laughs> oh god please can i have what i was trying to say was three tacos which is tres so it's like porque you know uh yo quiero uh tres tacos and then i was like so proud of myself and i was having like a little party and confetti's going off in my head it's like you did it you did it and the lady (laughs) asks a question in spanish and i have no idea what it means so i looked it was like what? <laughs> she could. Okay. She could. I, I didn't even say it. She's like another white girl trying to order. 
So she goes, uh, to go? And I was like, see. <laughs> I'm still trying. And I see, she gives me my total, and I'm just still reeling off the fact that you look like such an idiot. You tried, like... You are getting the idea of what it must feel like to come to America and not be able to speak the language. How frustrating. And I pay and I walk away and I realize I just paid $20 for three tacos. And I was like, golly, what? These better be some good tacos. Well, in Spanish, tres sounds a lot like seis. And your girl gets a bag of six tacos. I had tacos for the week. I ate tacos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because they were just hearty tacos. I was like, whoa, six tacos. I would have probably ate them all for lunch. No, they were pretty hearty tacos and they lasted me. So, oh my God. Just, you know, learning learning Spanish isn't always that easy. It's pronunciation and enunciation. Indubitably. Enunciate those words. And I love when you try and speak a language. Mm-hmm. roughly and the person automatically is like yes. oh great they can speak spanish and yeah. you're like no 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 that's all i knew i just knew how to order i don't know anything else beyond that yeah <laughs> that was all i knew i'm sorry that was i tried <laughs> yes well, that happened to me a few times while i was in a relationship with a mexican woman Uh-oh. who spoke who spoke <laughs> who <just> spoke <laughs> fluent spanish that was actually her first language and sometimes oh she would like teach me how to say phrases, but then I didn't know anything beyond that. So yeah. if, the, if the conversation progressed, it was like over. <laughs> it was like, well, then I'm just... Did you try speaking like to her family and things like that? Yeah, Spanish? but it never really worked out. So... <laughs> Ola! Go, I stop. And I'm not very good with languages, I gotta say. I'm good with English, but anything else, I yeah. wish. I wish I could. Knowing more than one language is tough. I... I give props to everyone that can speak more than one language because that shit's hard exactly and if only we could you know read minds like the aliens we would have no need for language i know that would be kind of scary now you're speaking my language (laughs) aliens mind reading Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay so we digress we digress i think i'm just gonna name this this episode mm-hmm. tangents tangents episode five tangents yeah <laughs> okay but not like the math ones colon not like math tangents true yes right oh my gosh i, I wonder specify. if my stomach just like growled and i wonder if that picked up on my i'm sorry we'll see i won't edit it out. i hope it does liz is hungry I thinking about call, those says tacos and the word tacos in my body i like, has a physical reaction okay Juana's crime life began in 1995 when she began stealing items from stores. Excuse me. I'm having digestional distress. (laughs) (laughs) She she begins stealing items from now I got the gigs, damn it. (laughs) Okay, wait, we'll just get it out and then like start over. (laughs) Digestional distress and the alliteration tickled me so. (sighs) Oh. Tickled me so. <laughs> I'm just trying to make Melissa laugh till she cries. I oh. love when you laugh. You cry when you laugh. It's just my life goal. Oh, it just happens. So. I talk about boners. <laughs> That's how it gets me. <laughs> flashes of just dicks come across. Boners are so funny. <laughs> They are funny. They're like, hello, I, I'm ready, and I'd like to let you know. 
like staring at you with its one eye. It's very aggressive. It's so aggressive. They're super aggressive. I'm really glad I'm a Especially lesbian. Especially in pajama pants in the morning. It's just like, whoa. Pitching a tent. And like, can we hang things off of it? Like, you want to dry your towel off that thing? Oh, quit <laughs> telling me all about your hetero, hetero life. Oh my gosh, have you seen? I just want to stick googly eyes on it with like a little top hat. Do you want me to cut this part out because your coworkers are listening? Probably. <laughs> We'll see if I do They or know not. I stick googly eyes on everything. The chances are I'll probably stick it at my boyfriend schlong at some juncture. Tiny hats, easy to crochet. So, Wano's crime life began when she started stealing items from stores because she realized that she's broke after giving birth to her fourth child. Okay. Who later on in life eventually dies from injuries sustained in a mugging. Oh, no. So she has a she has a, a rough life. Yeah, and this is a rough start for sure. Like she, very very sad. She hasn't had anyone like showing her the proper like morals and values and how are you supposed to learn those things? That's the responsibility of parents. You can't rely always on the teaching system, yeah. the educational system. So that sounds like a lot of trauma. A lot of trauma. So she's just trying to get through life. Uh-huh. So the stealing evolves into burglarizing homes. And a year later, she and her friend Araceli Martinez hatch a brilliant plan to steal from the elderly. They seem like a good population to steal from. Yeah, rude. So Araceli and Juana wear white, hopefully not after Labor Day, ew, and <laughs> pretend to be nurses to get access to the homes of the elderly people living alone, and then they'd rob them once they were inside shitheads so bitches be crazy and araceli was also in a relationship with a corrupt federal police officer and they concoct this parallel plan to extort juana so i realize i say so a lot it's just leading to the next it's just there's a lot of like so this poor lady's life it's fine the greedy boyfriend police officer meets juana after a burglary that juana committed alone and he demands 12,000 pesos in return for not arresting her. So he's extorting her. Uh-huh. Then a few years later, in 2000, Braza, she decides to retire from wrestling. She tried fighting because she was getting 300 to 500 pesos per, per fight. Uh-huh. And her situation became desperate. So this is when she transitions into La Matavajitas, or the old lady killer. Ooh. I'm just saying the trauma of her childhood abuse was a factor in her murders, obviously. And her motive, she says she killed because, quote, When I saw them, I felt much anger and more when they acted uppity or believed that because of their money, they could humiliate me. And I'm like, yeah. does this tie into like our last podcast where like Bernie, like people, the motives. I mean, it's just so curious that people come up with. I, no one likes an uppity person who makes you feel like shit, but also Mm -hmm. don't murder them. She wanted their dough. If you hate like a population and you see them as available, like to be attacked easily, uh, available to be attacked easily. That was hard (laughs) for me to get out. (laughs) And you want money and you haven't really learned what's bad or what's good and you're just trying to survive. But it doesn't still, make it okay. And no, it was so it violent. Okay. That's the no. thing. It was so violent. And so yeah. she's obviously 
what did they believe the real motive was lingering resentment regarding her own mother's treatment of her mm-hmm. and that she associated the elderly victims with her mother believing that she was helping society by killing them. So she's just reenacting her mother's death, I think, also killing her mother. There's this anger and trauma that she needs to process. Um, and I want to add, it was just an odd coincidence that some of the victims owned the print of the boy in a red waistcoat. It had nothing to do with the okay. murder at all. Oh, okay. I just had to mention that to throw you off the trail. Cause I was going to ask about that, actually. Yeah. I was wondering. It, was just, it just happened to be a coincidence. So she is, so I guess, see, I, get it, I say so. Juana is tried in spring of 2008 and charged with the deaths of 40 elderly women. Jesus. She's found guilty on 16 charges of murder mm-hmm. and aggravated burglary, including 11 separate counts of murder. Wow. Here's the difference, I would say, in our justice system versus Mexican law. And she's sentenced to 759 years in prison. Oh, wow. I just want to note that the maximum sentence under Mexican law is 60 years, but she'll most likely serve the full sentence in prison. Okay. Yeah. I, this brings me back to like that question of like nature versus nurture, because Mm -hmm. it's hard to imagine, even with a lot of trauma in your life and a lot of like fucked up stuff happening to you and whatnot I mean there's a lot of people that go through really really hellish things in their life and they Mm -hmm. don't end up murdering people Mm -hmm. so I like a big part of me feels like you already have to have that in you like you have to have that That anger capability Mm -hmm. already there like maybe it's dormant and then if some fucked up stuff happens then it Mm -hmm. flips it on it flips the switch (laughs) because I'm like I think most people, no matter if they had a traumatic upbringing or not, would not resort to murder. They would probably be like, well, I need a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, hopefully, hopefully they wouldn't think I'm going to murder someone. Yeah. And ignorance of the law is no excuse. I also think about that story that you told us about the girl that was kept in the bedroom Mm -hmm. for so long and deprived. And it's just that gray area where it's like the law is very definitive even though we can see why someone did it, it doesn't make it okay. Especially because these these women are someone's family member. Right. You know? Yeah. It's just, I think it was just an interesting... And were these older women, like, really acting uppity and making her feel bad about herself? Or was that just her perception because mm-hmm. she had been through so many things? And sometimes if you have trauma, you can perceive people's actions differently <laughs> than they are. I'm not I'm like, trying Amen. to... <laughs> I'm starting group therapy next month for that reason. <laughs> yeah, you can read into things. And it's not because of something that person did. It might just be triggering something in you from something in the past. So it's like... But it has Not, to take that self-control to be able to say, I need help. Um, uh, I, I do want to add in like a really quick fun aside that okay. she was portrayed in a TV series in the early 2000s. And along with other occasional features on TV, she was also highlighted in a documentary which aired in uh, 2010 on Discovery in Espanol. Ooh. More importantly, fangirl moment. She, oops, I knocked the mic. I'm sorry. I, okay. I had to talk with my hands. Okay. Most importantly, Criminal Minds has two episodes inspired by her killings. And Criminal Minds actually has like a fan site where they delve into more details about Juana. And it'll be in my resources if you want to check it out because 
it's crazy. That's all I'm saying. It's it's crazy. Wow, that's a really Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. one. It's not often that there are female serial killers, although you've covered two now. I just, yeah, I I think that that's why I like this this podcast is I get to I get to just like share, um, look into information about weird killers that we've never heard of. That this one's so interesting and forty people. I mean. My goodness. That's a lot. Indubitably. That's a lot. That's so is she day. still alive? And I mean, she was born in 57, so she yeah. probably is, right? I didn't see anything saying that she she wasn't alive. Living her life out in prison. Yeah. She probably has some uh, prison bitches. Judging by her size and stature, <laughs> she's probably an alpha. She's got hoes for show. Hoes for show. <laughs> Oh, we're coming up on the two-hour mark. Oh, boy. I guess we better call it quits. Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. My story was super long. I'm sorry, but it was... It was good. You know, there was even more details that I could have put in, but I I kept it as short as I could because there was so much. I was like, oh, my God, I just can't even include all of this. But it was also interesting. So I would urge everyone who's interested to go check out (laughs) Terry Lovelace's book. I think I'm going to order it on Amazon because... I just want to know the whole story. I'd but. like to read it. And also, I, I still wanted to note that I, I owe you a bag of cassava root chips. And I totally forgot. And I want to do it next time because... I forgot we were going to have the chip off. The chip off. Okay, it's coming, people. Yep. I know everyone was on the edge of their seats. Chip off 2021. We'll be back in two weeks. If you guys haven't noticed, we only publish episodes every two weeks for now because mm-hmm. we have day jobs and other things going on and we just can't shout out to my work homies shout out um yeah that's about it shall we say au revoir what's uh, what's why i'm drawing a blank yeah you were thinking spanish (laughs) we were sharing a thought i was reading your mind and i think i might be an alien on zip i am an alien i wish I think you are, though. I wouldn't unzip on the air. You know this. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, adios. Adios, amigos. See you later. See you later. It's Tuesday. Go eat some tacos. Mm -hmm.